Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to this Dialogue special coming to you from Munich, Germany, the site of the 60th Munich Security Conference. I'm Xu Qindu. The conference has raised an interesting and important question in its report by asking the world how to avoid a lose-lose situation in the process of prioritizing security. So, for countries like China and Germany, the second and the third largest economies in the world, how to handle their relationship to further their ties than the opposite? How can the big powers work together to head off a worse scenario in which every nation suffers? How countries around the world all enjoy the benefits of cooperation and globalization. Today's panel discussion is a joint cooperative effort between CGTN and the Global Public Policy Institute, an independent non-profit think tank based in Berlin with the mission to improve global governance. Joining us today are the director of the Global Public Policy Institute, Banner Thorsten, Hans-Peter Berghoff, professor of banking at the University of Hockenheim in Stuttgart, and Wang Huiyao, President of the Center for China and Globalization. Welcome to Dialogue. We'll start with something, of course, close to us, the Munich Security Conference, in particular the report. Uh, there's an interesting theme, you know, with a lose-lose with a question mark, meaning, of course, you know, we don't uh, want to fall into such a trap, such a situation, everybody loses. We used to talk about a win-win. So what changed? I will start with Professor uh, Bogov. Well, for Europe, from your perspective, what changed is the Russian attack uh, on Ukraine, which changed our view of the world fundamentally, because we became now aware of this high safety risk for Europe, and that we really must find a way through this new world of aggression. And this world of aggression is definitely a lose-lose world. It's all negative. We can cooperate and we can gain from that, but we need a solid base, and the most fundamental base for this is peace accepting your neighbor, accepting the neighbor as it is, not wanting to interfere in a way which is not acceptable for your neighbor. And we're going away from that right now. And that's what, what has changed in Europe. Other countries in the world might have different priorities, might see this different. For us, this attack destroyed all the illusions we had about that things might go, even with tensions, with conflict, but they might go in a positive direction. Yeah, this is a European perspective. This is a Ukraine conflict. Uh, you know, your center, China and the globalization. So from Chinese perspective, from the point of view of globalization, what went wrong? Yeah, I, I think the, uh, the theme of the, of the Munich Secure Conference this year, particularly the report released just a few days ago, was, was quite interesting. And uh, you talk about lose-lose, that's the theme of the, of the report. And then that's really actually put people into a new uh, angle to look at the th situation. If it's a lose-lose, who lose more and who lose less? So, so that really means... Uh, uh, it's, it's a counterproductive. It's really, even though some people may lose more, some people may lose less, it's, ro it's really uh, not for the, uh, for the whole world to benefit. We have to overcome that men mentality. So I think it's really uh, a, a very creative uh, that Munich Security Com Conference come up with this idea of lose-lose. And, and then it really compares, you know, the re relatively gain of some people and relatively loss of some people. But we all have to think about overall benefit of the mankind and uh, so if we look at in that perspective if some people lose a bit more some people lose a bit less but at least we 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 we, we should avoid that and then we should try to have more collective gains we should make a bigger pies and then we should really let more people enjoy so how to how to divide the pie how to really cut the pie 
then we need a new global structure, probably uh, new dialogues, new uh, discussion. Uh, Mr. Thurston, of course, is not only about you know, geopolitical, not only about the security. So it's also about the trade, uh, economic uh, you know, relationship here. Uh, you know, in the past, uh, everybody believed in believed in say uh, interdependence. That's good because interdependence ensures peace and stability. Nowadays, even interdependence produces problems. So, like uh, in your opinion. What should we do in order to achieve the goal, for example, as we all mentioned, like, uh, you know, overall benefits for everybody? You're right. Uh, Lose-lose kind of tells us something about how Europeans see the world, that we're much more pessimistic about the world. And we also learned our lessons about interdependence. Uh, I was one of the people who believed uh, in the benefits uh, and the positive effects uh, of interdependence. but. I and I think quite a few other Europeans, we learned our lesson uh, from Russia. We were interdependent uh, with Russia. We needed their oil and gas, and Russia needed our money, our technology, access to our markets. We thought this interdependence is mutual and will lead to rational behavior. Little did we know that our understanding of rationality on the other side uh, wasn't shared, and uh, President Putin thought it's better for him to achieve his goals by going to war against uh, Ukraine. Uh, Professor Bergoff, you know, globally, uh, globalization, you know, if you look at the situation right now, like everybody is unhappy in a sense, you know, global south are not happy, you know, like, oh, uh, it's an international order shaped mainly by Western countries. The U.S. is not happy or China is uh, catching up quickly. So uh, China would say, together with India, the big powers, they would say, you know, we want to have our say. Europeans, obviously, with uh, Russia, not happy there. Globalization used to be the key word, the hot word, and now it's the opposite. It is the opposite, and I think we shouldn't forget how much benefits we had and still have from globalization. I just look at a country like India. When I was younger, in India, people died of hunger. Not a few, but hundreds of thousands, and this is again. So there has been a strong economic development by a global capital market and by a globalization of the economy. And if you'd ask me what, what we need for Africa, we need open markets, especially for agricultural goods, goods in the developed countries, in China, in uh, Europe, in the United States, to get these countries from the ground to, to, to production, to get something uh, going on. So we have a lot of advantage from this globalization against what, what many, especially the leftish ideologists said and also the nationalists say, we have that, we should try to regain it. But as I said, we need peace for that. And without peace, you, you can't do such deals with neighbors who threaten to attack major players in the game. I have to ask you, there's a belief, you know, people would say, if the Chinese side talk to Putin, talk to the Russian leader, and then he will stop you know, the military operation in Ukraine, for example, uh, immediately. Is that the case? Uh, certainly, I think China can exercise influence, a, a lot of influence, but not as, as uh, probably as easy as people thought, because China also, first of all, China has uh, the longest border with Russia in the world. And, and historically, China suffered quite a bit with, with Russia also. But now China has, uh, has also has done a lot of business now with Russia, and then also uh, that uh, uh, China has already, I think, have gone all the way coming out. For example, when German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited China, President Xi said no nuclear war should be fought in Ukraine, which is a huge message. If, if Russia cannot use nuclear weapons, what, what strength does it have? 
Uh, and then when President Macron uh, visited uh, China, President Xi said no bombing of the civilians and children or destruction of the uh, uh, facilities of civilians. And, and that also another strong message. And China said the envoy uh, for, for Ukraine and, and the Russian uh, conflict. And China actually, uh, President Xi phoned Zelensky uh, and President Wang Yi last year, I think, met a foreign minister of Ukraine right here at Munich. So, so I think China has done quite a bit, but the fundamentally is now we both sides I think needs to find a, is willing to talk and eager to talk. Uh, we need that moment to happen. Uh, people would say because of the Chinese development, China is positioned globally. People do see there is a bigger role for China to play in maintaining peace and stability. Mm -hmm. Tell us in the Chinese policy in terms of global security. I see China now actually is more complex because China now is the largest trading nation in the world with 140 countries, the major trading partners. China now contributes over one-third of the global GDP growth. China still does. You know, China maintains 5.2% GDP growth. China has become the largest uh, clean technology developer in the world now. As I said, you know, China uh, uh, you know, injected some new initiative like Global Development Initiative, China launched Belt and Road, which uh, you know, invest one trillion U.S. dollars over three thousand projects with one hundred fifty countries. Which I think, you know, of course, not every project is perfect, but most countries benefit uh, uh, to some extent. And uh, and I think China is trying to provide some global public goods. But but of course, it's, it's China is still in the in the curve of, of doing that. It's not uh, U.S. has been doing that for hundred years. China just mm -hmm. starting to do public for the last 10, 20 years still. We, we, are, we are transitioning from a unipolar world, like Ola Schott said, to a multipolar world. And China is trying to uh, cope with that and, and learn from each other. So, so I think you know, there's a lot of room for China to grow, to work with you know, different countries, uh, particularly our European friends and, and of course, uh, our US counterpart. There's no trust among the major powers. We have to build up the trust. And then the exercise of Munich Security Council is exactly doing that. Mm -hmm. Let's get the U.S. counterpart, Chinese Minister for Ms. Wang, everybody comes here, talk to each other, and they have some new consensus, trust. I saw President Xi, President Biden get some trust in San Francisco last November, which is great, but we hope to get more. All our shouts will visit China we, this year, President Xi will visit France. Let's get more trust, and hopefully we'll you know, stabilize the world, and then we can get more business development. Uh, so, Mr. Thorsten, you talked about this, um, you know, learning a lesson uh, from interdependence, and you mentioned China here. In a sense, it's really EU and China, Germany and China, of course, e economically, trade and investment here. Uh, tell us more about that. I mean, we've seen how President Putin has tried to weaponize European dependence on gas, and uh, unfortunately, our dependencies on China are much more complex and far-reaching than on Russia. And uh, so we need to prepare for the day that the Chinese side could also say we weaponize these dependencies, maybe in a contingency about uh, Taiwan. So we need to prepare. And it's actually de-risking is the same what, I mean, de or de uh, partial decoupling is actually learning the lesson from China. Because, uh, I mean, it has been the Chinese approach, the aspiration. I mean, President Xi put it this way. He said, like, uh, we want to make the rest of the world more dependent on, on us, our value chains, and we want to be more de uh, less dependent 
on the rest of the world. And that's a smart strategy, of course. We've also woken up uh, and we want to be less dependent. I'd love to say also something about this kind of de-risking. Uh, also from a perspective of control by the market and the efficiency of having a globalized world, it's better to have no dependency because then you can react. That means also there are more partners involved because you ask now, can I produce this in this country, that country? I don't do everything in China. I don't do everything in the United States. I do it in many other countries. Maybe that's a little bit more inefficient because the transaction costs get higher in the, in, the, in the economic transactions. But on the other hand, it allows us to diversify. It allows us to have more different developments in different parts of the world. It's not like the, what we had before, global sourcing. We go where it's really cheapest. That doesn't matter anymore. Little differences are absolutely mm -hmm. acceptable. You've got the capacity everywhere. That's good for every country. And it also allows us, if somebody destroys peace, to react fast. Because if you destroy peace, if you start some major uh, military operation, you will lose a lot of business very soon because there are many others standing uh, ready so, so to, to, to decrease the profit. Or have to be efficient, let's say. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of break of, of trust which is involved in this kind of military aggression uh, gets punished faster. It's long term more efficient. I, I, I have a little uh, uh, different view because I think we are now in the, in the 21st century because we, we can't think about uh, what has happened in the last century or the century before because uh, where I think every country does its own and, uh, you know, and, and then we are not really uh, uh, depend so heavily on each other. And, but now you, you, the, 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 the world has really accelerated. The globalization has been so fast and the standardization for example, I know that uh, for the German industry, uh, uh, you know, auto industry, for example, many other industries are in China, and China is the biggest uh, automobile market in the world, with 400 million automobiles currently running in China, and each year they produce 30 million, and then BMW and Mercedes-Benz they sell more cars in China than U.S. and EU combined, and the reason that they are, they, they have to be in China is because China is the state of the art. Of the, of the automobile technology, and by being China, they harness the best technology, and then they can sell to the world. So it doesn't have to be a doing business in your own country. You can do business in, in other places. I agree. We need to have a secure, more peaceful uh, environment, and that's where I think the business should do more now. We should not let politicians, you know, jeopardize like Putin, like like all those people. Because we, business should should push forward for a more stable and more predictable, peaceful environment. I think the business is not doing enough. They are reaped the benefit of globalization, but not doing enough to push the politicians to really to create a more stabilized world. And that's why we're having those uh, war narratives is really, risk narrative is really uh, getting all time high and then scare all the people out of the, uh, out of the market, which is uh, exactly like uh, this uh, Munich security report said, lose, lose, everybody lose it. And then by everybody lose it, we're getting into more provished, more poor, more dismantled world, and then we may get more anger, more deglobalization, more populism. We may have more warm, a Trump may come back again, and then we may have a more miserable world. So it really, we have to, at this threshold, we crossroad, we need to really push for globalization and maximize the benefit. And you think the economy should do more. I mean, there's nothing like the economy. There are people in the economy who might do something about yes, it. Yes. Uh, for me, 
in Germany, I see that the economy tells a lot of things, and the government does the opposite. Yeah. Which is not good for the country because often there are very sound economic reasons behind what the economy, so the representatives of the economy say. Do you think uh, that the politicians will listen to what the economy says anymore? To your question about these, you know, local politicians, whether they are correspondents to local reality, I think the world has changed so much. I mean, the, the old way of, uh, you know, the Biden's simple view, autocracy versus auto uh, democracy, is, is not really working because even for democracy, it needs to be upgraded. It, it, it's evolved from the... Athens, you know, Greeks, uh, public square uh, democracy in the old days, in the one man, one vote. But now you have a social media, you have uh, all kinds of things happening, the, the world changes. And then you got so many polarized politics. You know, you got, you know, you look at the U.S. now. I mean, cast you can't look at Germany as well, by the way. You no, know, that's not a good example for, for, for other countries, developing countries, global south to follow. I mean, it doesn't work that well as they used to be a simple economy. Uh, whereas there's no social media, no fake news, new, no, you know, I mean, that kind of interference. So, so I think democracy has to evolve. Uh, I mean, so, so in that sense, uh, you know, China has done some experiment on consultative democracy, on, the, on, on meritocracy. You know, China always has a, a, some kind of democracy, thousands of years. You know, every year, uh, like, for example, 12 million college graduates get into the system through the exam. Voting papers, two million college graduates getting into the public servant system through the voting of the exams. So it's it's also a kind of a elite democracy to some extent. But in your constitution, it says it's the dictatorship uh, of the party. Well, right, and that's a that's a well, very peculiar form. No, of no, no, no. I think there the, 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 the wasn't <laughs> it wasn't probably uh, translated well, but but it basically means uh, one party. Uh, a consistent party role because, like, like even in in Japan, it's always liberal party. You know, you have a different system. There's always one party. In Singapore, it's always one party. But one party doesn't mean you can't now do good things if it really, you know, self balance and checks and everything's in place. And and also that gives the continuity. One five year plan after another five year plan, so China can build the two thirds of a global speed railway, and seventy percent the global five G system. Because under one party, you know, consistent uh, management. So it's just different country system, different culture, different uh, and, system. I think uh, in, to keep the competition peaceful, that's, that has to be the goal. That yeah, great yeah. power competition doesn't spiral that's right. into, uh, Absolutely. into great power agree, war agree, and agree, that we have to build the trust. Decides, and yeah. I think we need to reduce the mistrust Absolutely. by... Partly talking to one another, uh, but partly also reducing vulnerabilities. Because if you don't trust the other side, you cannot mm -hmm. be too vulnerable. And I think yeah. both sides are doing this. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I agree. to yeah. a degree, the de-risking actually could actually stabilize yeah. Uh, relations. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a good point. Parts. Instead of, you know, in the process of de-risking, like uh, both sides suffers uh, or loses, uh, you know, in that situation. Yeah. Come okay. back to the, you know, uh, more security uh, yeah. situation like in Ukraine or in the U.S. in particular recently, you know, Trump said uh, you know, he would not offer protection if uh, countries here does not raise their defense budget to a certain degree there, you know, would even encourage Russia to attack certain countries there. Um, I mean, there's also real prospect of him coming back to the White House. What do you make of uh, the second term of Donald Trump? What kind of impact uh, he will have or his presence will have? On relationship between Europe and the U.S., will that make Europe more 
uh, independent, uh, like uh, strategic autonomy as said by the French? First of all, it will make us vulnerable because vis-à-vis uh, -vis the U.S. over the past 10-15 years, we've lost relative power. The U.S. has grown economically. We haven't in relative terms. We haven't reduced our security dependencies. Uh, it would, of course, be the final wake-up call that Europe needs to get serious about investing in its own military and its own defense, that we need to kind of make the necessary resources. We're a rich continent. Uh, we have the technology. We can do it, uh, but so far, We've been reluctant to do it because it was pretty convenient uh, to have the U.S. with extended security uh, guarantees. And we also had a much more benign reading of the environment uh, we were in. So, but it, won't, it, it will be extremely uncomfortable for, uh, for Europeans uh, if Trump uh, gets back and uh, extremely turbulent. What about the Ukraine situation? What about the Ukraine? I mean, the Ukraine situation right now like, is already uh, getting worse because the U.S. political system cannot agree on replenishing ammunition stocks, whereas Mr. Putin uh, has good agreements with North Korea and uh, gets, uh, keeps the ammunition uh, going. And uh, Europeans haven't kind of kept up their production domestically. So it's already difficult. It will get a lot more difficult uh, if uh, if likely get more difficult if uh, if uh, Trump gets in so it's uncomfortable for Europeans to say the least and it's maybe the final wake-up call we need to get serious about uh, our own security mm -hmm. uh, Professor Bergoff in that respect what about the trade and um, you know uh, investment relationship between the European Union and the US uh, for example, there's, there's competition, let's say, uh, green products or you know, in, in industrial policies, uh, you know, subsidies, for example. Um, you know, they are not agreeing with each other entirely in that respect. There are still today, there are trade disputes. Right? There are still trade disputes. The biggest one is about the role of the state. Because the United States, despite its seemingly capitalistic uh, underlying uh, gives a big role to state investment right now. So they have a tremendous program of subsidies which we cannot cope with and we don't want to cope with because it would mean we have so much debt in the future so we are, we are somehow paying out the, 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 the future uh, of our children because we create such a high load of debt. So we must cope with that. Up to now the effect is not as strong as many in the economy said because many of the people from the economy in Europe said yes, Europe must also scale up its subsidies so we can cope with the United States, we can compete with the United States. The truth is for Europe it's more about efficiency, about bureaucracy, of the, about the, the inefficiency of bureaucracy, of the, all the different objectives you have. Our processes are much too slow, so we have to work on that. That's a better program and it doesn't cost money. It just I, I think we need to do all that in terms of completing the single market, less bureaucracy and all that, but I think your view, I'm, I'm a little skeptical because in a world where not only the U.S. is spending massive amounts on kind of developing its industry uh, toward a zero carbon future, China is doing the same. And we're the only market that is open. For example, to Chinese electric vehicles, uh, the U.S. has said 25% tariff, maybe we even increase it, plus we put security requirements in the future on Chinese EVs, basically closing the market. The only market that is open uh, right now to Chinese EVs that is truly open is the European market. Our consumers may get cheap cars uh, that are connected uh, 
through their electronic devices uh, to Chinese uh, producers, uh, but our producers will lose out in this competition. I think uh, we need to adjust to this competition, and if Europe plays by the old rules in a new world, I think we will lose. But lastly, you know, on this topic of lose-lose, uh, avoiding a lose-lose situation, I want your solution <laughs> for every country. Free solution, important solution, valuable solution. I will start with uh, Bia. Yeah, no, no, I, I just want to get back to the question about uh, Trump. Uh, you know, you said uh, if he gets back. I, I, I think he, he has a very high probability to come back. Uh, and that creates a lot of uncertainty. But then I also, there, there's, there's some new, uh, 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 you know, new momentum probably he will, he's coming back would, would, would bring in. For example, I see better EU-China relation. Because EU will felt, you know, there, there's, there's a trust with Trump uh, would be a problem. And then, and then China probably still a, a reliable partner to work with, uh, at least economically, so, so that we see. I see probably Trump gets better relation with, with President Putin, and that will make China more worrisome. And then that probably also going to happen. And, uh, but in terms of uh, uh, what would be the lose-lose, uh, 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 you know, how to uh, conclude on that, I really think this uh, Munich Security Conference, uh, the theme uh, uh, this year report, is setting a new uh, momentum in, into thinking. Is that we have to think about what are the, you know, uh, what are, we, are the common benefit of us all? If we all think about the risk, the couple, we all get into lost position and uh, and then really benefit nobody. So if we think about that case, you know, just, just turn the coin around, you know, we're not talking about women, but let's talk about lose-lose, people just realize, oh, gee, I, if I can't uh, win, I, I, I don't want to lose, and then nobody mm -hmm. wants to lose, then let's really work together. Let's put them into uh, one uh, circumstances, work together, and, uh, and then they really found a way to do it. So I think by having Trump there uh, bring a lot of uncertainty, you give more <coughs> urgency for China, EU, and of course, the vast global south to work together. We don't want to disrupt it by populism, nationalism. We want globalization, inclusive globalization, continue. And that's really the, the, the solution. Uh, Mr. Sostin? I wouldn't necessarily bet on Mr. Trump leading to better EU-China relations. Remember the first term of Trump. Yes. Uh, it was the kind of the fruits of Chinese diplomacy were such that EU-China relations at the end of Trump term were worse than at the beginning, uh, and uh, so I wouldn't necessarily bet on EU-China well, relations. I, I do think if uh, if before Trump left, you know, if if not uh, because of this uh, EU followed the U.S. sanctions, we already reached a comprehensive agreement on investment, and then you know that some years of negotiation would be now fruitful. Uh, for, for both country, both continents, and uh, so so you see, actually, Trump does produce closer. Trump also produced the ASEP that China uh, agreed with ASEAN. Uh, that was during uh, this transition time. So so it, you know who knows? I mean, Trump may come back and say phase two, phase three, continue to talk with China too. Uh, we we don't know. Yeah. But, yes, you may surprise it, maybe, uh, but you could surprise it, and maybe that would also stabilize relations if you made a real true gesture, for example, on the, on the side of the Chinese president to really uh, lean in on, on the Russian leadership to actually come together, have this seven-party talks. Uh, more dialogues, more discussion with good faith. And then good things like uh, we are awake. We are, yeah. <laughs> we are not sleepwalking, so Thank hopefully you can avoid us. it. Well, thank you, thank you for thank joining you. us, your time and science.